Well, let's then get into our conversation for this hour. And we're going to be focusing on coalition government. So uh, what we're going to do, we'll welcome our guests on this issue. Uh, Becky Ngomezulu is the Professor of Political Science and Deputy Dean of Research at the University of the Western Cape. Professor Ngomezulu, good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, my sister, and good morning to our listeners. Dr. Lubna Navi is a political scientist and analyst at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning, and good morning to the listeners. And Grant Masterson is the head of programs at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Grant, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Cathy. Nice to talk to you today. Sure. Thank you all for making time uh, for this conversation. And I must just give you the heads up. I know that uh, we're scheduled to uh, be talking together right up until midday, uh, but we are going to be interrupted by a crossing that we will do to the results center. So just please uh, bear that in mind. But we will come back and continue with this conversation and also allow the input of our listeners. A lot has been said about coalition governments governments and there there seems to be a lot of emphasis on you know the possibility of the growth of of needing to form coalition governments i just want to get a sense from each of you uh, firstly where you stand on this question i mean do you believe that south africa has entered a phase where coalitions are really going to be the future of local governance in this country uh, professor gomezulu i'll begin with you Okay, no, thank you very much for the question. And coincidentally, uh, a few days ago, I published an article where I was talking uh, about this particular issue, the, the issue of coalition. And yesterday, again, I had a discussion with some of your uh, colleagues, uh, media colleagues on the same issue. From where I'm standing, uh, South Africa in particular and Africa in general, we are not yet ready for coalition for a number of reasons. Uh, if, for example, we were to confine ourselves to the South African space, uh, you look at our political parties and you look at what they stand for, and then you look at uh, uh, the caliber of the leaders that you have, I don't see uh, a coalition working, uh, simply because uh, all of them want to lead and no one wants to be led. We have seen this happening in a number of um, municipalities, including our metro. Uh, you might have seen what happened uh, at Nelson Mandela Bay, you saw what happened at, um, uh, I, mean, I mean, in Gauteng. You saw uh, that is in the city of Johannesburg. You saw also what happened uh, in the city of Swan. So from where I'm standing, coalitions uh, will not work for us uh, for these reasons. And also because uh, if you look at uh, coalitions, we divide them into two. <clears throat> there are pre-election coalitions and there are post-election coalitions. The post-election coalitions, by and large, they are coalitions uh, of convenience. In other words, we are forced by circumstances to form this coalition, and it was not premeditated. And then in the process, we'll find that uh, our politicians spend a lot of time fighting amongst themselves as opposed to uh, providing services at the electorate. So honestly speaking, I don't think we are ready for that. But unfortunately, with uh, more than 300 uh, political parties and then with more than 1,500 independent candidates, that is the direction we're headed to, and it will be a disaster. Dr. Navi, let me allow you a chance to weigh in on the same question. Thank you. So I would agree with Prof. Gomzulu about the fact that we are not ready yet for coalitions. And South Africa has to reach a level of political maturity 
in order for coalitions to work. Now, the fact that uh, some of our metros ended up having coalitions is an illustration of the fact that, uh, you know, we, we have still not reached that level of maturity, uh, and, and it is, is, of course, a challenge. But I think what's going to happen is that as voters are increasingly more disillusioned with the larger parties, they're going to start uh, expressing support for smaller parties, uh, newer parties. And so it may be the case that none of the, the larger uh, parties in a metro, in a you know a district or what have you, end up with that 50% plus one in order to have that majority. And so, uh, with all of the different parties coming in, it's very likely that that, that is going to happen. And this is a you know result of 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 course the the failure of these larger political parties to have uh, in, you know, engaged in effective service delivery. So while South Africa is not ready for it, I think that the electorate are going to uh, choose to vote in a way which is going to bring in uh, more coalitions. And I see that trend actually unfolding in this election as well. Mm-hmm. Grant, l- let me come to you then and, and hear your thoughts. Thank you, Kathy. So, I mean, my, my perspective, I think, is informed by uh, the, the work that we do on the African continent, um, which is a, a continent of 55 countries. And I think that we have examples of uh, states in, in Africa where coalition governments have worked from the get-go. So um, certainly at the, at the start of a, a country's democracy, they've formed coalitions and they've worked very well. We also have countries where coalitions have completely failed. Uh, they've led to chaos and, and breakdown. So you, you have the whole range of experiences across the continent. Um, as an example, a country like Mauritius, which is uh, a very stable democracy has had coalition governments since its independence. Um, whereas uh, we all know, I think, a country closer to home like Zimbabwe, their experience of coalition governments has been very fraught. Mm. So it, it really does depend a lot on the parties, the actors, the stakeholders. Uh, but I, I would agree with the sentiment uh, that has been expressed by the other two guests that uh, whether or not South Africa is ready for coalitions, coalitions are here. And that seems to be what the voters are telling the, the parties. So we are going to have to mature as a country, mm. find that political maturity that we're talking about because it's here now and that's unavoidable. And and, and that's really the, the, the nub of the conversation, Grant. The fact that um, in as much as we may have politicians that are seen or even a political system that is seen by and large as being um, immature to have stable coalitions, um, the big metros in the 2016 local government elections showed us exactly the extent to which voters are willing to actually take that decision and vote in a way that requires the formation of coalition governments. So how then do we respond, um, uh, Professor Ngomizulu, with the relevant, I don't know whether it's policy framework, but what is the solution to then having some form of, sta- of stable coalitions within this framework of politicians that, you know, uh, keep swaying from one end to the other, whether it's pre- or post-elections? Uh, that is not going to be an easy exercise for several reasons. But if I were to just refer to one, constitutionally, if you look at uh, uh, Chapter 2, uh, Section 19 of the Constitution, it spells it clearly that uh, anyone has a right to form a political party and associate with a political party. And it goes further to say that uh, 
any individual has a right to contest in an election and is expected to hold office after that election. So until there is either a constitutional amendment or a constitutional review, it will be difficult to come up with any guidelines. Because even if you were to come up with a guideline, let's say, for example, the IEC were to come up with guidelines, that guideline has to be tested against that particular section of the Constitution. And people are going to say that uh, if you, you are denying us the right to form coalitions in the manner we deem it fit, you are basically tempering with our constitutional rights. Then it will become illegal battle. So as things stand at the moment, our hands are tied in a way. So we'll be going to this coalition, then others in fact are more strategic. They are saying that it's not necessarily a formal coalition, but we agree to vote together. Whether that is, uh, can, it can have an, a particular tag in politics, then it's a different story. Maybe my colleagues and others will come up with a tag for it. But they say not in a coalition, but voting together with party acts, like it happened, for example, between the DA. Professor Mkomezulu. All right. Yes. Sorry, we seem to have lost you for uh, for a bit on the line there. And, and that's such an important example. Dr. Navi, you know, when I first heard of it, at least the EFF explanation for how they were voting in Swani, saying that we're not forming a coalition government, but we are voting with the DA. It sounded to me a bit like semantics, like whether if you're giving them the vote to form this government, you are in coalition with them. But they've been insistent that that is, in fact, not what is happening. And we've since then uh, seen other political parties follow suit. So how then do we describe what the situation is? Well, that situation you described with the EFF, you know, it's like verbal gymnastics. They're sort of jumping uh, all around the place. But actually, if you are uh, sort of uh, working uh, with another party and, you know, you're giving support to them for their policies or positions, that is a coalition. So, you know, there's no real sort of um, more than one way to really describe it. You you sort of cooperate, you, uh, you know, work with uh, another party to uh, sort of, you know, uh, achieve a certain objective, and that is a coalition. So I think that, um, you know, the, the parties that are going to be elected into office um, and if there is a hung uh, sort of, you know, outcome or if there's no one major outright winner, they have to understand that it is the electorate that they serve and not their own in, uh, interests as parties. So at the end of the day, they have to learn. And yes, as Prof was saying, that you know anyone can actually stand for election. And the problem is that pretty much everyone does uh, kind of come into the electoral space, but they don't necessarily have the experience. They don't necessarily have the literacy or the know-how of how to do politics and, and you know be, as I call it, a mature politician. Um, so for, unfortunately, we're going to have these challenges. And I, that's why I think that our political landscape and the IEC and you know other institutions can play a role in this is to develop frameworks where actually um, politicians are trained. I think we need to have a, a school or something. You know, there are many of these schools that are coming up, but I think that we actually need to have better political literacy. And this is something I've been talking about for a very long time, that you actually train your um, you know, politicians to do better in the same way that you would go to a, a doctor or medical expert who's actually, sure. you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, being through training to, to heal you. You really need 
properly trained politicians mm. and not just anyone to come in and to govern. And, right. and that really has to happen. All right. We're going to con- continue our conversation uh, with Professor Mgomezulu, Dr. Navi and Grant Martison, who is um, Masterson, rather, who's with the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. I'm going to take you to Luanda Maume, who's standing by with the latest uh, news headline. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.8 FM in Nizna. We continue the conversation on the talking point, and I'm still taking some of your messages uh, in terms of the experiences that you're having with voting. Uh, Gigi in Cape Town says, Kathy, I stood in the rain to vote. They told me I'm not registered to vote. They said, oh, wait, I was registered to vote, but not in the right location. I made a bit of a fuss, and they reached consensus that I could vote. Listening to the callers, it seems a lot of voters are being told they're not registered. Yeah, that has certainly been some of the experiences we're having this morning. Uh, So what we're going to do now is we'll continue our conversation with our experts looking at the looking at coalition governments and also what should be the response? What are the solutions to ensuring that we do have a lot more stable coalition governments that one than what we have seen in the previous term since... Well, thanks for that, John. And of course, you can expect plenty more from the Results Operation uh, Center with John and the rest of our colleagues that are going to be uh, bringing us updates from there. Well, we're going to continue the conversation with our guests and we're looking uh, still at the issue of coalition governments and how uh, can we be preparing for those governments and what can be put in place to ensure at least greater stability. Thank you uh, to all of the guests who stayed on the line with us. Uh, for this conversation this morning, uh, Professor Bekim Gomezulu, he is with the, he's with the uh, University of the Western Cape, the Deputy Dean of Research there, uh, Dr. Lubna Navi, who is a political scientist and analyst at the University of KwaZulu Natal, and Grant Masterson, who's the head of programs at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Grant, let me bring you in and ask you to just. Uh, talk about the issue of the frameworks that can be put in place. Uh, Professor Mgomezulu said it will be difficult to have any kind of policy that seeks to actually govern how coalitions are run. So what what, what, what can we do in, in the absence of that? Thank you, Cathy. I think that the, the Prof made an interesting point earlier about uh, post-election coalitions, which mm. tend to be opportunist in nature, and obviously they are all together on the fly. Uh, those kind of coalitions that we have in South Africa right now. Um, we did, in the last national elections, have uh, four of the smaller parties announced that they were uh, forming a sort of a pre-election consortium, but we didn't really see much evidence of, of, of it in action post-election. So I think most people may even have forgotten about that. So I think that we can look uh, north of our borders to Botswana and, and, and examine the way in which opposition parties in Botswana have cobbled together um, a very effective pre-electoral coalition, um, which has uh, formed under the umbrella for democratic change, uh, which has started to really seriously challenge uh, the dominant hegemony of the Botswana Democratic Party. Although the BDP is still in power, 
previously, the fragmentation of the opposition parties really limited the scope and the effectiveness of the opposition in that country. But when they were prepared to get their hands dirty, roll up their sleeves, uh, start to do the hard negotiations before there was politicking, before there were calculations about mm-hmm. how many seats are needed, then you start to see the work and the building uh, that, that is necessary to make an effective coalition work. Um, now, it was not easy, and there were many false starts in Botswana, um, and they've been going at it for more than 15 years trying to get that coalition working, so it does take time. But that's definitely a helpful model to reference when we're looking at how can you build effective coalitions in a country like South Africa. Grant, as you're speaking, I'm reminded of part of what happened post the 2016 election, where even though parties were clear of their ideological differences, they still made the decision to vote um, together, and the DN, the EFF, become a classic example of this. What we have seen following the breakdown of that relationship is that on the one end, we have political parties emphasizing that they are going to be voting with others along or forming coalitions along ideological lines. And then the other end of the spectrum is saying, ideology doesn't matter in local government and they're just going to be finding the best partners to be able to work with. Yeah, and I think that actually what what South African voters seem to be saying is that they are not as much impressed by ideology and by posturing, but that they want to see uh, whichever politicians are in their council to roll up their sleeves and get to work. They want to see the quality of the voters' lives changing. But what we tend to see is that the quality of the councillors' lives changes for the better, not the voters' lives. Uh, and that probably explains uh, the, the extent to which voters are, are casting their minds far and wide now to look for options that they think, well, these councillors haven't really done it for us. Uh, and, of course, you also have to factor in independence because in, uh, in, in these councils you have independence, which can also be a numerical deciding factor in swinging a council one way or another. So as, as we get deeper and deeper into coalition territory in South Africa, ideology definitely takes more and more of a backseat. Um, and, again, coming back to the prof's point, when they are post-election um, coalitions, it's all about opportunism. It is literally a numbers game. Can we get the number of seats? Mm. Uh, let's look at Ikuruleni as an example. The African Independent Congress's one seat in the Ikuruleni Council was enough to keep the a- African National Congress in power. Uh, and the AIC was even able to throw its weight around with just its one seat to uh, compel the ANC Secretary General to travel to their headquarters to meet with them on occasion, uh, showing the the power of the kingmakers in these coalitions. It really has very little to do with ideology and it has very much to do with expediency Mm. when it's a post-election coalition. Dr. Navi, on this issue of ideology versus, you know, just delivery and what it is that uh, leaders that work together, that have the potential to form some kind of good working relationship and what the outcomes of that can be, uh, what are your views on that? Do you also believe that ideology is taking a backseat somewhat when it comes to these coalition governments? Well, I think what happens is that, you know, parties will issue their manifestos before 
an election in order to uh, woo the voters. And basically, uh, most of the manifestos, you know, are pretty similar in terms of uh, what they're hoping to uh, sort of accomplish. But ultimately, you know, uh, what tends to become an issue if there's sort of a coalition uh, situation that emerges is uh, really, uh, you know, uh, really ideology does sometimes play a part, you know, and then we're talking about, for example, economic uh, policies, you know, what what is the policy of the, the party with regard to how are they sort of a very a liberal party economically or more socialist or what, what have you. So these are the kinds of things that do become an issue. But I think that what tends to happen is that expediency, um, you know, as has been mentioned, does enter the fray because they realize that they actually have to work together somehow uh, and of course uh, because uh, the councillors or whoever's in office there realize that actually in order to uh, retain their position they actually have to find a way to work uh, with each other so ideology sometimes do take a back seat but of course there are some views that perhaps um, the voters actually elected those parties uh, because they believed in in the ideology that was being put out there. So when those kinds of uh, clashes emerge, uh, you know, the the parties have to avoid uh, the the kind of conflicts uh, that may emerge. So it's a tough uh, situation, but I think that once they are in office, they actually have to find ways to make the relationship work. And service delivery is essentially about delivering uh, the basic services, um, like, you know, refuse removal, uh, water, electricity, and so on. So ideology doesn't play that much of a role there. Uh, and perhaps it, it plays a bigger role at, at uh, kind of national uh, and provincial elections. But uh, on the ground, it really is about ensuring that the basic services are delivered. And most of the parties have similar ideas mm. around those things. We'll continue this conversation on the talking point after this quick break. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We've been focusing on uh, the discussion around coalition governments and the formation of coalition governments. What do we need in this country that can make uh, these governments a lot more stable? Because unfortunately, when you look even at, you know, the Auditor General reports that uh, consistently highlight the poor state of local government, it is especially in areas where there has been political instability, where the plan of resources has unfortunately you know where that takes place at a much larger scale than than what it does just in your ordinary failed governments and none uh, of those two situations are desirable professor Ngomezulu, uh, an opportunity for you to weigh in then also uh, on on this issue of of the ideology uh, you know what, my sister, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to state uh, perfectly that uh, our, politi- our political parties have a, have a clear ideology or have clearly defined ideology. Mm. Because uh, you, you see this um, uh, before an election when they present their manifestos. In most instances, you'll have one main manifesto and then you'll have other political parties reflecting on that manifesto, drilling holes, and then indicating what they will do better than the other party and so on and so forth. And then if you ask them in one sentence, what is it that they stand for? 
you struggle to get a straight answer. Instead, they'll give you a lecture and then hope that from that lecture you are going to uh, try and get an ideology. So I'm, I'm a bit reluctant on the issue of an ideology. Uh, for, for instance, if we look at uh, what happened in 1959, uh, which resulted in the PAC drifting away from the ANC, there was something clear there. It was a policy issue whereby the ANC was saying that uh, the liberation struggle is for everyone, regardless of race or color. And then the PAC, on the other hand, was saying the struggle is strictly for black people. So that was a clear policy issue. You no longer have that anymore. Instead, you'll have politicians uh, doing what um, uh, the, the party next door is doing without uh, necessarily defining an ideology. I happened to have an interview uh, with one of the party leaders who was claiming that uh, uh, his party is the only one uh, that is talking about uh, economic freedom until I to refer that leader uh, to the Freedom Charter and then uh, say that, uh, by the way, uh, this issue is not new. All that we are doing is just repackaging it. But it's not a new, a new ideology, it's not a new strategy, it's not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's been there for a long time. So I would say, uh, in a nutshell, that uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that uh, our political parties have an ideology. What they do, more especially when it comes to local government elections, they look at uh, some of the pertinent issues at, at that given time. And then they try to coin their manifestos to respond to those needs. And in some instances, they also demonstrate that they can't distinguish between a national slash provincial government election and a local government election. You may have heard, for instance, when parties were gearing up for this election, that some of the issues they were putting on the table and promising the electorate have nothing to do with the local government, but it has everything to do with provincial and national government. Mm. A case in point, uh, you can't tell uh, the electorate that uh, uh, if you happen to get one or two municipalities, you are going to expropriate land without compensation. While at national level, you still have Section 25 being revisited. You can't also say that uh, uh, you are going to double the old age pension when in fact this is a national issue. So I think that uh, the, 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 there is a problem, honestly. There is a problem in terms of what the parties stand for and what they will be able to offer. That is why after elections, we have so many service delivery protests. Because people are going to say, you promised us that if you win the municipality, you are going to double all the extension. When that doesn't happen, then people are going to hold you liable. So I think we have a problem uh, which could solve it. My view is that uh, we should first uh, teach politicians what to say, when, and how, and then try to remind them that South Africa is not a federal state. It is a unitary state, which means what happens at national level will also uh, cascade down to the provincial level and then eventually to the local government sphere. Uh-huh. You cannot come up with things at a local government which cannot get pronouncement at a provincial mm. and a national level. All right. Thank you so much for that contribution, uh, Professor Mgomezulu. I see we're, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. So, uh, Dr. Navi, I'll give you perhaps a minute just to uh, give us your concluding remarks on this conversation. Well, I think, as I said, that we're going to increasingly move towards coalition type of governments, um, you know, in some of the sort of municipalities and possibly metros. Um, And that is as a consequence of the electorate's behavior and how they're sort of trying to uh, express their, you know, sort of uh, support for newer parties. But I think at the same time, um, as they sort of... uh, 
you know, political um, or a system. South Africa is still uh, growing and developing and maturing. And so we need to have um, systems in place that actually can manage us moving towards a coalition type of politics so that, um, you know, these municipalities run effectively. And we need to put in place support mechanisms to ensure that when those coalitions do uh, come into existence, that they have the support and that, uh, uh, you know, they're going to be able to run effectively and provide services to the people. Otherwise, we're going to just have continuous uh, failures of service delivery, and we can't have, have that happening. So greater support for, I think, the coalition type of uh, systems, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's where we are moving towards. All right. Grant, you have the final word on this. I've got a minute uh, before we wrap up. Thank you, Cathy. I think we can we can look at the local government coalition landscape as a precursor to what may be coming, certainly in various of the provinces in the future, and possibly ultimately at the national level. Uh, the PR system does lend itself to um, a, a diverse multi-party vote, and so it seems as though, like I said earlier, coalitions are, are here and they're here to stay. And so voters, I think, are going to need to watch our parties very carefully, show some political maturity of their own uh, to determine uh, how satisfied they are with the performances of these coalitions, how they're working, uh, and which partners they think are working well and which are not, uh, and ultimately the voters should decide. Let me thank you all for your time this morning on the Talking Point. It's been an absolutely an absolute pleasure hearing uh, your contributions, and I appreciate the fact that you've uh, spent as much time